On today's episode, we have Andrew Goldner, a veteran in the tech space and founding partner of GrowthX. Andrew has been in the technology sector since 1998, where he began his career in tech as a lawyer for the early internet pioneers, such as AltaVista, Yahoo, Salesforce, and many others. He left private practice and then became a publisher for Reuters News before becoming the co-founder and managing director of the company's legal media business for Asia and the Middle East. Returning from six years in Asia, Andrew decided to move back to the U.S. in order to help early-stage companies. He was early at two different SaaS companies, GuideSpark and BrightTalk, before co-founding Good Money to democratize high-performance, value-based investing. At Good Money, Andrew met his current partners and co-founded GrowthX, which helps companies and countries to commercialize innovation through capital, talent, and know-how. Stay tuned for more from Andrew Goldner of GrowthX. Welcome back. This is part two with Andrew Goldner. We're going to be talking about how he invests in startups at GrowthX. And we're going to be talking about how to find a mentor. Two of the pieces of advice. Actually, I'll say three because we can't exclude Sean because he'll be absolutely. Sure you can. Sure you can. Um, I'll say three of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received in my business career are coincidentally from three of the co-founders of GrowthX. So uh, Will Bunker told, uh, says this a lot, but um, when he was building oneandonly.com that they used to say, they had they essentially bootstrapped it more or less, right? We raised ninety thousand dollars. Yeah, there before you go. they sold to Match or to, right. to IEC and became Match. So uh, he said that they would constantly say least effort, most revenue, and I love that idea uh, because I think a lot of times we just kind of flail all over the place mm. in startup world. The second piece um, was Sean, as he always says, you need to talk to human beings, um, and that you know. Companies don't buy products, people do, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is super important to remember. And I, I always like to think that people buy for a million different reasons. It probably isn't the reason that you think they're buying for. It might be for their spouse. It might be for their boss. It might just be to feel cool or it might be because you know they you can get them tickets to the Giants game. So people mm. buy for all sorts of reasons and they're all humans. Um, and then the third thing, which um, which you taught me, which was something that, I, it really reframed how I looked at building a startup, which was the idea of um, just being coin operated in mm, general. Mm. Um, so this is something that, and, and actually I'll just let you explain it because um, you do a better job than me anyway. So what is being coin operated, whether it's a salesperson or a startup, um, this idea that you put 25 cents in and something else comes out? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily think about it as coin operator, but I do think that, you know, in the abstract, the idea of what we're looking at at the seed stage, especially as SaaS, you know, B2B SaaS investors is your is a revenue machine. And, you know, learning precedes revenue. And so what are the learnings that allow you to build a predictable revenue machine? And that's where I think you're getting that notion of the coin, right? I've said that you, you build a machine that you put a quarter in, you crank it twice and a dollar comes out. And that's the time to go raise money because VCs have bags of hoarders. And so, and what, what, you, what you're not hearing me talk about there is, is how many dollars you have in your bank account. We require founders to have revenue before we'll invest because we can. Yeah. 
because this is the age of applied technology and there's zero excuse for a founder who's not inventing anything and is doing something capitally efficient to be raising money at the seed stage pre-revenue. There is simply no excuse. There is a fundamental problem going on with the founders if they can't get to revenue, if they're doing something B2B SaaS or marketplace in in, in today's day and age at the seed stage. And so that's just a fact, right? The other reason that we like revenue is because you learn from it, right? It, it's, it's not about the revenue you earn, it's what you learn, right? And so if you're going to build that, that, you know, that so-called revenue engine, you have to dial in to what we call the three dimensions of revenue. You have to know the predictability, the profitability, and the scalability of each of your revenue items. Um, we were joking around earlier, and I, I said that, you know, in today's day and age, there's this notion of friendship that I just think is false, right? For me, if you don't know someone's birthday, they're not your friend. I love like, that. That's just my, my <laughs> threshold. Same thing. If you don't know the profitability, predictability, scalability of the dollar, I won't count it as revenue. Because here's, here's what it is, right? If you've got, even call it 50,000 of so-called MRR in your bank account when you come and pitch me, or 25,000 of MRR of, bank, you know, of, of revenue when you come pitch me, if I start questioning you around how intimate you are with that revenue, and it seems like really you've just got a bunch of Facebook friends in the bank account, there you don't know anything about that revenue. I could take, you know, a dollar from that bank account and show it to you and ask you, okay, tell me, how profitable is this dollar? Mm-hmm. Or I select another dollar and show it to you and say, how predictably can you get another one of these dollars? And the challenge is that people think those dollars are fungible. But the reality is that not all revenue is created equally. And so back to Will's advice, what he calls traction effort delta, what everybody has always referred to as the biggest bang for the least buck, or what's the most revenue for the least effort, right? That's where you need to be at the earliest stages. You have a limited time, limited money, limited resources. If you're running around thinking that all revenue is created equally and that all revenue in the account is fungible from all other forms of revenue, then you might have early signs of success, but there's an underlying unwellness to the revenue. And that's why we also like SaaS, is there has grown a library of formula and ways to analyze the wellness of SaaS revenue. Um, All of it really pointing towards the concepts that I'm talking about now. And so it's not just the level of effort to go out and acquire another dollar. I, I only want you going after the best kinds of dollars. And if I had a crystal ball and I could point with absolute certainty to the characteristics of your most ideal revenue, from the profitable, predictable, and scalable perspectives, I'm going to presume you would only expand efforts from that point forward going after those types of dollars. Okay, well, there is no predict, there is no uh, crystal ball. 
but that is what the market acceleration program framework is. That is how we've turned the art of the start into a science by building a scientific method and process in order to seek the truth about the most revenue for the least effort that is also the revenue that is the most profitable, predictable, and scalable. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's far from perfect. It's not a crystal ball, um, but it is a capitally efficient method to focus your limited resources precisely where they will have the best longest term impact on the company. Yeah, and I think this piece of advice has served you know, us really well at, at Mission. It also really allows founders to just think about their finances as something that you should really be intimate with um, and you should know really, really well. And it allows you to think about your products really intimately if you back into the finances and it allows you to think of your sales as something like that. Let's say you have something that is a very profitable product. You're getting predictable with how you're doing it, but that thing doesn't scale. It's like, you know what you need to work on or you know that you, what you need to change, right? And I think that that's one of those things that I think a lot of startup founders that I'm friends with and have talked to or colleagues with maybe you maybe you wouldn't call them friends if I don't know the birthdays. But I think that a lot of people like really don't understand because they'll go raise X amount of dollars. They'll pump it into all sorts of things and they're just not measuring any of those things. Like what, how do you like one of the, we, we did a financial analysis with an FP&A guy. And one of the things that it was like, you know, common sense stuff, but what fractionally do all of your employees, how are they aligned on your products on, on, on either creating the product or selling the product, right? Like how do they, how does every single employee's time do that? You how, got many, it. how many startup founders do you do come to you that have no idea how to say, Hey, we just raised a million bucks and we hired all these people. And you go, why did you hire those exact people? Yeah. Well, Certainly most founders that we speak with are entirely product oriented and they think what they're selling is so, it, what they have is so innovative, it'll sell itself. I can tell you that 100% of the founders that we work with know what you're talking about because part of market foundation, which is the first milestone of our market acceleration process is an exercise where you go methodically through every single person in the organization. It's called the resource review and it's one of the first things that we do. And it's literally understanding what people are doing and assigning their time into buckets mm -hmm. between the product and the market. And the reason is because at the end of this exercise, it becomes blatantly obvious where the focus of the company is before you start talking to your employees and your board and your funders about your market milestones before you announce you're gonna close six deals in the second quarter. Because let me tell you, frustration is nothing but the delta between expectation and reality. Yeah. And when you set that expectation and deliver a different reality, you create a significant amount of frustration and employees start to grumble and maybe worry and leave. Funders worry about the next round, board of directors start thinking differently. You can't help when you do your resource review and you do a market milestone exercise from the bottom of your funnel up, 
you realize just how much resources you need to get to certain types of final results and you'd never announce to anybody any of those things again until you've done that exercise. It's critical to start with understanding what do we have to work with. This is not about a shaming exercise. Yeah, totally. It's just about the reality. You know, I always tell founders when they're pitching me like, relax, like you are where you are. And, and you should be proud of that. Like, don't try to be somewhere you're not and don't apologize for not being somewhere you're not. You are where you are, right? Let's get a sense of that and then we'll have a better sense of how we can move forward together or otherwise. And so this is about a realistic expectation of a strong foundation, right? No architect in the world would build on sand. Yep. Right, and that's all this is, is no matter how beautiful or complex of a building you're intending to design and build, build it on a strong foundation. And so I think it's a really important that you, uh, important point that you're making about like who's working on product and who's working on market. And yeah, most of the time there's nobody working on market. And I think part of that is that founders just say, I just straight up don't have the time. And obviously we know that that's the wrong answer. I, I got up early this morning, went for a run. And that's because I made it a priority. Yeah. That's it. So when someone says that I don't have time, what I hear is I don't believe it's a priority. You have time, right? You're choosing to use that time differently. And if you've analyzed the things that you need to get done and you realize that your list is longer than the time that you have and certain things are not gonna get done and you've been thoughtful about what things aren't going to get done and you recognize the consequence of that and you believe that it's an acceptable consequence, then you've made an informed decision and you just move forward. Simple as that. Don't tell me about I don't have time. Of course they put things too far down the priority list that they have time to do that they should have put higher on the priority list sometimes. Okay, so they, they have new data they react accordingly, right? That's all fine. But not saying I just don't have time. Yeah, I don't buy it because what I hear is it's not a priority and help me understand why that's not a priority. If you're a founder right now listening and you intend to pitch me ever, be prepared for this question. What time did you get up today? And I hope the first thing you did is brush your teeth. And after you brushed your teeth, until this moment, I want to know every little thing that you have done. And then we're going to go back and analyze every minute. And we're going to calculate the amount of minutes that you've spent getting money from one person's account into your bank account. So just be prepared. That's, that's bottom up. I don't care about how big your total addressable market is. And if you get 1% of it, look how much money we're going to make. That's lazy. And I'm sorry the top accelerators in the world are continuing to teach that approach. I wanna know in the most finite detail, and I mean it, every single minute of your day, you need to account for your time to me in the context of how you're getting money from that person's account into your bank account. That tells me whether it's a priority or not. On the other side of this, people are probably thinking, well, you have to leave room for serendipity. This is something that we talk about all the time at 
mission is like leaving room for serendipity that there's things in this world that you could not prepare for you could not plan for and you know if you go to pete's coffee today to work from pete's coffee and you know zuck is sitting there next to you because he wanted a pete's coffee or whatever it is and you get a good conversation you get a big deal then we were talking about investments that we made a mission um about like artwork and certain these things that you know, would appear to the untrained eye as frivolous um you know but when you do things with intentionality there's a reason behind it and you're setting yourself up for you know success down the road can you talk about this idea of like putting money in a place that you're going to spend as a company to be intentional with it and how that impacts your goals versus being kind of just lazy with it. Well, that's it. I mean, I, that's exactly what I was going to say is what people typically refer to as serendipity is lazy. So what, what I call it is intentional serendipity is when you're thoughtful about being in a position where green space is going to potentially produce some effect, then set aside that time. But it's not just completely random. It's not, you know, laziness. And by the way, like, take the downtime. You don't have to fill every moment, right? I mean, it, you know, I go back to wellness. I, I think the San Francisco startup scene is the, one of the most unwell cohorts in, in America. I think these the people are are technically unwell, living an imbalanced life, not being well-rounded and not being well from a health and wellness perspective, whether it be time with friends and loved ones, whether it be time away from the rat race, um, whether it be what they eat, their exercise, their living conditions, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's um, collectively working against us regardless of the performance. But uh, yeah, to me, it's about being intentional. And, and that's it. It's just being intentional about the time. And, and yes, you have to be regimented. And yes, you have to be thoughtful. Because if you're going to win in this, which is like the hardest thing to do, and it's against human nature to be a founder, right? The characteristics of a successful founder are similar to the, 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 a lot of the uh, diagnoses in the, the statistical manual of clinical disorders. There is truly something grueling, unlike any other thing, right? And it was Elon Musk that said it's like chewing broken glass while walking towards the edge of the abyss. Yeah. Like that's, and you as a founder know that, right? We, we kind of all laugh at it as founders. It's true. But if it, this is really hard to do. Why is there only one Warren Buffett? Yeah. Because what he does is extraordinarily hard. The people that you read about that win in the Valley or win as entrepreneurs did not get lucky. Yes, there was some luck that played into it. And I think Guy Raz brings that out all the time in his How Did I Build This podcast yeah. on NPR. I think every founder says that there is some luck into it, but I bet it's also about intentional serendipity. But it's excruciatingly difficult. And so you have to be on your game top of the game, thoughtful, intentional, and regimented if you're going to win. And I would add to that too, that you can't be guilty. I mean, I feel like this is the feeling of constant guilt. This is any leader, lead, like letting down your team, letting down your loved ones, letting down yourself. Like that is the biggest anchor, I think personally, that sinks most startups because 
it's it's a spiral and like you can't get everything done and it's not possible and i think that the balance that you talked about i think part of that stems from people not knowing like how to work hard or what that feels like and like pushing themselves to the brink and being able to you know scale back like obviously you know we've talked about before on the podcast that um you know during my time in the military west point stuff like that like the biggest thing it just taught me how to do was like actually what failure really feels like not like failure like startup failure like real failure yeah and not that startup failure is not real failure but i just mean like you know losing a deal or something Mm -hmm. like that and i think that a lot of people because they've never like pushed themselves to a certain point that they constantly feel like they're always pushing themselves to that point and then they have this guilt around them and i think that you know saying to yourself i need to be organized i need to be intentional uh, I need to know where my time goes because my time is my most important asset. And that if you're unhealthy for a year, that doesn't mean that you're going to be unhealthy next year. You can just look back and say like, hey, I burned it. I burned the candle. You know what? Again, where I think a lot of um, self-hate comes from and, and, it's a, and it's a terrible burden, you know, that guilt, which is that self-hate instead of the self-love, where it comes from is simply not taking responsibility for your actions. You know, the late Bill Shepard, my partner's father who just passed, um, one of the many great things that he used to say is that the only thing that you should assume responsibility for um, are your actions. Or excuse me, the only thing you should assume is responsibility for your actions. And I think that's brilliant. I I teach that to my children now. When we're guilty, we're being lazy we're avoiding the fact that we made a decision and there are consequences to every decision and that we will live with those decisions and live with those consequences because we made that decision thoughtfully. And if we didn't make that decision thoughtfully, if we acted rationally, then rather than spending that time hating yourself, think about how you might make that decision a little better next time. Yeah, totally. And know that you're a fallible human being and that you set your ego aside and reserve the right to be less wrong tomorrow than you are today. And that's it. And take responsibility. And that's it. Don't be guilty. Take responsibility. Wow, that something happened that I didn't think would happen. How did that thing happen? Why is this person mad at me? Why is my wife upset? Why is my child upset? Why did I not get this done? Why is this person yelling at me, right? Okay, well, let me think about it. Don't avoid it and just be guilty about it and make some nonsense comment to yourself about how you'll do differently next time. Just spend one second, by the way, and feel what you're feeling. Don't label it. Feel it because what you're feeling is what it feels like to be alive. Understand what you do differently next time. And you mentioned Bill and I wanted to to segue into, into mentors because I knew Bill and uh, he was a legend. He's going to be you know, sorely missed by, by every single person who got a chance to meet him. But, you know, it was one of those things. I just feel super fortunate that I got to spend as much time with him, Mm. like as I did, Mm. um, Mm. hanging around. He was a Navy vet as Mm. an army guy. Mm. We ribbed each other back and forth Mm. on that. Well, Bill ribbed everybody he loved. Yeah. Um, and he was just, just an awesome guy, you know, always like, you know, he's been retired for a little while, but never actually retired. Is yeah. emailing me every couple of weeks with like, hey, did you know this person? Or hey, this person's working on something. He was just an awesome guy. And he was like, you know, the perfect mentor, right? Mm. And it's like, he's kind of one of those guys where when you look at mentors, uh, you know, and Sean is one of mine and you're one of mine. And and I think 
you know, it was kind of one of those things that I think early days attracted me to growth X was just like, you all actually care about people. Mm. You don't say that you care about people. You just do things that show that you care about people. And, uh, it was just cool to be in, uh, in Bill's orbit. And he had some just legendary Intel stories and some stuff that like just unbelievable stories. But, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that you just kind of aspire to be like, and you're like, mm -hmm. if I can be a fraction of that, I'll be pretty happy. Well, that's it. And I, I, on behalf of growth X, I'm grateful for you saying that, um, obviously, we're uh, an extraordinary close partnership. We love each other. I love Sean like a brother. And so, you know, that loss was deep um, and still fresh yeah. for a lot of us. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, you know, a, a big part of what we're doing at GrowthX is, you know, putting ourselves out there like you are at the mission, putting yourself out there with great, helpful content in hopes of attracting people to a community so that you can figure out how you can better help each other. Yeah. And it's about people who aspire to greatness. And so Bill is a perfect lesson because he was a great man. And so if, if we can keep doing what we're doing and identify or otherwise attract into our orbit people that have a potential for greatness like Bill Shepard um, and we can be helpful to them uh, whether that's something that we're capable of doing ourselves or whether it's people that we know that we can turn them on to like that's growth X frankly I mean that's it and it may sound like an odd thing for a venture capital fund to say but that's our approach you know, that really is a, a, a real core value. Well, and I, I, th I just think it's cool that, uh, you know, from the very beginning, you know, you and Sean and, and all the folks just kind of saying like, hey, this is our last job. This is what we're doing. Right. We're going to be here for 30 years. We're going to be around. Right, this wasn't our next thing. This was our last thing. Yeah. And I just think that there's some, you know, we talked about intentionality, but that is, in my opinion, the biggest thing that is missing from the Silicon Valley culture. Mm. I think the idea of like how much innovation and smart people are in a close proximity and truly want to help each other, I think it makes this place, you know, the, the best place for innovation in the world. That's what I believe. But I think that the thing that is missing from that is people that hop onto the next thing mm. so quickly mm. and all the, the, it's, you know, it's a feature, not a bug. So I will say this, that like, mm. you know, the fact that we have, non-compete clauses is why there's so much innovation here. You know, the, 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 it is a feature that people jump around. But when you meet people that build things for the long haul, that don't build to the exit, and you invest in people that you want to have exits, and I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. There's, but there's something about meeting people that actually finish the things that they're doing. And it's also not confusing cause and effect. Yeah. You know, building towards an exit or investing in people that you want to have the exit. You know, of course, like, you know, we are a business and our business where we realize our profit is yeah. when our companies exit. Like, of course that, but it's, it, again, it's, it's those exits come about because of the people we've invested in. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and I think that's, that's a really important thing. You know, what we do is inherently unscalable. You know, I've joked around a lot that if GrowthX pitched GrowthX, we'd pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because what we do is inherently unscalable. Uh, but that's okay. Like, we understand that. And we're, in, we're inserting scale where we can through uh, frameworks 
and through intentionality and through conviction, and yes, through some technology and software, but by and large, what we do is, and we believe ought to be unscalable. Um, and we think that the help is far beyond the checks we're writing. That's you know why we've structured the fund the way we've structured it. And that's why we operate a corporate and civic innovation practice and we run Growth X Academy. You know, that ecosystem works pretty well. And so now we're helping others build ecosystems too. Yeah, and that's the part that I think for our listeners, you know, when you're looking at partners, when you're looking at people that you want to work with, that to say like, what does this look like 20 years from now? I, it's impossible to, as we talked about, read a crystal ball. When you're looking, whether it's a mentor or a business partner or whatever it is, how sick of this am I going to be? And But what if they do realize the things that they're trying to say? And I think that that's one of the things, you know, like early on, with Chad and Stephanie and I talking about, you know, building the mission was a lot of the things of like, you know, people who the kind of doubters that you get of just like, yeah, well, you know, the market or the this or the that or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but what happens if, if these things that you don't think happen do happen? Like, what does the world look like in that place? And I think, you know, whether it's trying to find the right mentor or trying to find the right startup or whatever, I think that there's a lot of like people who looking for reasons to say no, like non-growth mindset, instead of looking at like, wow, what what does, you know, and that's how I always felt about growth. It's like, wow, what does this really look like in 20 years? If what they're saying, which I believe to be true, is, you know, aligning these kind of three assets, you know, with market acceleration and and the fund and talent, like, man, that's going to be freaking cool because I know, because that's what I would have wanted to do. You know, like, I'm like, that's where I would have wanted to go. Like, I would have wanted to be plugged into a startup right out of school that, you know, actually learned how to go to market correctly. Like, that sounds pretty freaking great. So anyways, I, you know, I just, I think that it, it it's a good reminder to try to seek those, those things uh, um, of people that have a vision of the future that you align with. I agree. And I, and I, and I, you know, it's people. You know, as you've said, um, it's leading with our core values. Those core values are our promise of experience. That is our brand and everything communicates. And we are fallible humans. And we expect you as our community to hold us accountable to our core values. And when you join our community, you also become accountable for those same core values. And I think that more than anything else, it's not about what we're doing. It's about how we're doing it. The thing that I'm most proud about GrowthX is not some of the performance. It's not the companies we were able to invest in or the corporations that we've helped successfully or now the countries that we're working with and seeing some wonderful results from. It's how we've built our company. It's the way we treat each other. Um, it's, it's the way we work together and live together. It's the way that we interact with the founders. It's, it's an, an, an implicit and explicit acknowledgement that as innovation investors, we have responsibilities that go far beyond those of our limited partners. The impact that we can and should have as innovation investors and to acknowledge the problems facing our profession to be able to bear witness and acknowledge them, but also to make a promise as to what we're going to do in our own way to try to help that and to live it and 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 to realize there is going to be consequences. 
Yeah, and, and and just to live it. Awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out today. Well, uh, pleasure was mine. Yeah, we got to have you back more the, or before next June. I would love that. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here uh, and to uh, be with the team and to have an opportunity to hopefully connect with and be helpful to your community of founders and others. Yeah, awesome. If anyone's uh, if anyone's looking to learn more, check out growthx.com and uh, Andrew's always around. You know what I'll say very quickly, if I can, in closing, is we're about to open source our entire program. So I've built an entire interactive new blog platform at growthx.com. Oh, cool. And beginning relatively soon, we are going to be publishing a series of about 40 weekly blog posts that will open source in graphic detail our entire market acceleration program. The same exact program that our founders go through with White Glove when we invest in them you will now be able to open up and read a step-by-step detailed blog post with examples. You'll be able to ask questions. You'll be able to highlight provisions. You'll be able to make comments. You'll be able to download worksheets and templates so that you're working alongside of us as you're reading every blog post, going through the methodical step-by-step process towards product market fit. And we're really, really excited about that. So check back at growthx.com. And I would say over the next four or five weeks, we're going to release the first one and go weekly for roughly 35 weeks thereafter, open sourcing the entire program. That's awesome. And we'll definitely uh, put that in the newsletter. That's our commitment to help more people. It's awesome. Take care. Thank you. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, And if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.